Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to Rebecca Shake all the way from London. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us all today. Oh, hi, Joss. It's so good to be here, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's taken us a little while to get it, all our ducks lined up, but here we are. So I'll just introduce you first. So Rebecca is on the executive committee of the International Attachment Network, and she is the Aware Parenting Regional Coordinator for the UK and Sub-Saharan Africa. She runs Flourishing Childhood, and she loves supporting parents with the Aware Parenting philosophy and also incorporates other elements into her work with parents. She completed an MA in Counselling and Education at the Tavistock Institute in London. She has a foundation course in NVC and has completed the hand-in-hand professional training too. She is currently completing the supervision part of a sand play therapeutic play practitioner training, which sounds amazing. I'd love to hear more about that. And Mm. she is also doing a practitioner course in focusing with children. So welcome to the episode. How amazing. Can you start off by telling us a bit about how you found Aware Parenting? It's obviously such a huge part of your life now. Yes, well... (laughs) It was such a profound way of of connecting with it. Actually, I was really struggled when my young when my eldest was born. I did not know what I was doing. I was exhausted. She was crying all night long. I could not sleep. We tried all sorts of maneuvers, driving her around in the car, uh, bouncing her up and down like crazy dummies, ducks. I don't know. We had all sorts of things, and I just did not know what to do with this enormous amount of crying, and just was shattered. I went home to South Africa to visit my mum with this baby that never slept (laughs) and uh, my mum's beautician came along and she said here read this and it was the aware baby and so I read it and literally just went oh that makes sense because before that I was handed a whole lot of books which I won't even mention but they were definitely more about this sort of rigid control of timings and that was nearly driving me mad (laughs) and I I was just so overwhelmed with instead of just looking at this beautiful baby and and really attuning to her and I suppose you know I'm on the international attachment network so I'm very passionate about attachment theory and I'm just thinking about my own attachments and probably you know there was so much wrapped in our difficulty as well as you know whatever was going on for her and I, I literally threw away the dummy I just was like oh I just had just a tear cry but just to anybody listening to this it's not that easy <laughs> yes okay we know we need to listen to the crime but then of course we've got our all our internal working models that were uh, developed when we grew up and perhaps it wasn't our feelings weren't heard and our tears weren't heard and we weren't listened to so of course it wasn't that easy and in fact I was thinking about speaking to you last night and I felt when I first came to our parenting it was more this kind of head approach okay so we've got to listen to the crying (laughs) and you've got to you know play I did all the games but I felt I'm starting to feel more and more and I think this is the journey of a way of parenting that it's becoming more of an embodied approach (laughs) so a a feeling a sense a um, and I think I needed to go through that because I didn't 
know how to do this. So the head part really helped me to get my head into perspective of what I needed to do, but it's becoming more and more this beautiful embodied way of being, of trusting myself and and looking at my daughter. In fact, when she was born, I was finishing my MA. So they gave me like three weeks grace and I just had this baby and all I was doing, I was typing on my computer. <laughs> and when you think of separation, I was just focused on my computer and on my baby who was just born. So, you know, part of might've been another part why she was crying so much. So just, you know, lots of love and kindness to myself because I, you know, I do get those, what Marion Rose calls those guilt sticks out a lot and start beating myself up sometimes they're really large and lots of compassion for what I didn't know at the time but then just read her book and just was like oh my gosh the world needs to know (laughs) ordered all of her book and contacted her to become an instructor of course I had to attend a level two instructors workshop so I scoured Europe to see who there was and found beautiful Jürgen Peters who has become a lifelong friend and uh, we now visit each other but he came over here when Nina was two and actually I think she was just under two and yeah she was a year and a half and he delivered a two-day workshop and it just so resonated with me and I yeah started my journey then and I do remember when he recommended me to be an instructor he said to one of the things I needed to work on was my boundaries (laughs) and perhaps it's though we can talk about today because I think it's so interesting reflecting back on what he said and what a journey I've had with boundaries. And I think all most parents I support, I always say it's really normal when you come to this new paradigm of doing things to almost have a pendulum that floats between authoritarian to permissive until you start to settle in a more democratic approach. And I think when I'm not triggered and when I'm resourced, I'm definitely my pendulum's down there, but it very can easily very swing to, I'd say, probably more permissive for me than authoritarian. But just that awareness within me, that more embodied, like, oh, gosh, I'm over there again. <laughs> um, mm. and, a, and a journey within my boundaries as well. So that was yeah, one of his recommendations when he came to, yeah, to London to share his beautiful knowledge with us. And yeah, and that's how I came across it. Wow. That's a really beautiful story. And it's so often the case that people say that they were exhausted, they were shattered, they had these young children and they just didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> they, the child is crying all the time. And it's so hard for us to find uh, approaches that are really aligned with our values. So much of the information out there is just so counterintuitive for many of us as parents. And so it's it, such a beautiful story that you found this book and that it resonated so strongly with you. And I loved how you were talking about how hard it is initially to listen to feelings and to listen mm-hmm. to the tears and all the stuff that it brings up for us, because I think that's really helpful for people as well, because they discover aware parenting and think, okay, I've just got to listen to feelings. But actually, that's that's often really difficult. And we do need to do our work there in order to be able to be really present for our children when we're listening to feelings, don't we? And I loved how you describe that thing about going through the motions of, of, of understanding it in your head to start with, but that it took time for you to be able to really embody this approach. And yeah, I really resonated as well with your, what you're saying about that journey and learning to cultivate trust and learning to offer ourselves um, self-compassion. Do you want to talk any more about that process and what that looked like for you, how you became more able to to feel trusting of yourself and your children and and how you came to be able to offer yourself more self-compassion 
Yeah, I think it's just been a really big journey because obviously wrapped up in my difficulty to accept the feelings is my own past. (laughs) And I grew up with a lot of trauma. My dad was bipolar. My mom had polio when she was six months old. And we had a very dysfunctional, disruptive journey as, as a child. I moved every year of my life, constantly having to have new friends, having to you know navigate new places, never really having enough money. I had, you know, lots of other traumas as well. And yeah, so I think my earliest experiences really yeah made life difficult for me. So I went through a very wild stage between 19 and 35 just before I had Nina and I really yeah had lots of control patterns wasn't really here on earth (laughs) lots of parties and just really not able to connect with myself at all I would say and then obviously came across aware parenting and this big journey of like oh my goodness he has all these feelings what are these things coming up with me and I think I had to do a lot of inner work I've had four years of psychotherapy I've done inner child inner child work I've done Robin Grills inner child practitioner training mainly for myself I have I have this what's what is the word this quirk where I have to do the training but it's also for myself yeah the inner child work I just think so so profound and beautiful I've also just dabbling in the nonviolent communication, um, really passionate about somatic experiencing. So I've passionate about um, Maggie Klein's work and Peter Levine, trauma through a child's eyes. And so I've done her workshops. So I just think all this journey about starting to come back to your body and all those are all body practices. And re- more recently, which I think has been the most profound is focusing. Um, I don't know if you know much about focusing, Joss. No. Uh, so focusing is a therapy um I use in virtual commas because you can't see me and it was developed by Jean Jenlin but he said it's just something we all have the capacity to do and it's just this connecting with what's going on inside this felt sense and since I've been doing that and really connecting with my felt sense I've just been able to make decisions more that are in line with my values with how I want to parent and not to myself up so much about it so if I've made like a boundary and that feels right within me sticking to that rather than like oh is this right am I being aware parenting am I you know am I democratic am I but actually does this feel right to my body and I think that's the process and that is what aware parenting is isn't it it's just this awareness rather than this thing out there it's a bit like attachment theory it's like it's not a theory <laughs> um it's this deep connection we have between us and our children and that's the thing we need to embody and foster you know you can know all about the insecure attachment secure attachment actually how do you create this really strong bond and it's this this feeling we have inside so I think yeah focusing has been really profound I don't know if you saw I shared a little video on my Instagram this week about I did some focusing with with my eldest and she sort of had this really bad nightmare and she was woke up petrified and her body was just stressed and sympathetic (laughs) and so I tried my all things like oh let's just think about something really lovely like hugging your mummy or you know your favorite things and you know those definitely helped a little bit but she still was really activated Um, and so I said okay let's try some focusing so she said okay so I said how would it be to just be with your scared we'll just be with her right now we'll just say hello we'll know that it's part of you we'll welcome it and there was just an instant settling in the room and the next minute she was fast asleep um, oh, so was that powerful. And the next morning I said to her, I was like, Nina, I just noticed that focusing seemed to help. And she really was like, 
oh my gosh, because normally she's like, oh, mummy, you know, but she's like, that really helped mom. That was amazing. And I think it just brought me back to this, the power of aware parenting about not chasing away, not distracting, not avoiding, but allowing it. And I think maybe that's moving on to a bit of what you're talking about also within my process is that I came back to, it's coming back to your body and allowing things to be there instead of me being feeling so, you know, terrible as a mother. And so not good about myself, but just saying, oh, okay, there it is. There's that part. What does it need? And, you know, trying to meet that need. Uh, And it's still a journey. I still find it really hard to be compassionate with myself and to prioritize my needs and to resource myself. But I'm starting more and more to learn which things do. Like I've started Qigong on a Monday, which I missed this morning because I had a TV this morning, but I try not to miss it. But just these little simple things that just help you put your feet on the ground. I've started some breathwork practice, which has been oh amazing. You know, people keep on going on about these breathwork things. But I think I was always so conscious of breathwork being this thing that stops you from feeling. Um, and of course, we don't need to use it when we're crying or when we're having a tantrum or when our children are crying or having a tantrum. That's gonna that's what they need to do. But actually, as preventative, it's beautiful, just offering the space within our breath and our lives. And I think I haven't been focusing enough on the the preventative within my life. And that's what I really try and support parents with. Like, what are you doing for you? And then I always say, and I'm saying that to myself right now, <laughs> because it's so hard to just prioritize our needs. It, it's it sometimes feels impossible. Mm. Um, but I know when I do do those little tiny things. For example, this morning we had such a great morning because we woke up really early and I, I, um, I've been feeling really unfit so I said to my daughter let's try that naught to five k couch thing you do you know you start slow running things so I went with my youngest and she came scooting and we just had such a lovely time chatting and connecting and I think we don't spend enough time on those preventative measures just spending some time because that's really what it boils down to time with ourselves and loving ourselves and time with our children and loving our children and in fact, it's just one more thing. My daughter the other day, she had such a whiny day. Oh gosh, she was driving me nuts. <laughs> and she, my youngest, and you know, in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, she obviously needs something. I'm just too tired. And I went to two, she was lying in the hammock and I was like, what's happening for you today? What's going on? She's like, I need one-on-one money and daddy time. Like I haven't had it and I need it. <laughs> I was like, wow, isn't that beautiful to know that's what you need? And of course, I knew that in my head as well. And do you know how often I just pretend it's not there? I don't know if you do that, Joss. You're like, you know what it is. But you're like, okay, well, we'll just park that for the moment. And even though I know exactly what my child needs, and you just kind of put it to the side. And I suppose it's probably what happened to us, isn't it? We got probably got put to the side or not, not given what we needed that t- at the time. So I feel like I've rambled on. <laughs> No, I think it's so interesting. I love that answer because, I mean, you started off talking about the big traumas in your childhood and not being heard and then all of the sort of control patterns that you developed and that sense of really profound disconnection from self. And I really, that really resonated for me in terms of my story too. And then you talk about this doing lots of different work, studying lots of different things, connecting with lots of different practitioners whose work really resonates with you. And what it really just all of that brings us back down to is this increased awareness, this sense of sort of allowing and surrendering and and welcoming the feelings for ourselves and for our children. And then 
that supports us to be able to give love to ourselves and, and also to give love to our children. And that, that brings in that self-compassion. And I love that reminder as well about self-care because so often when we have accumulated feelings, which most of us do as adults, I would say all of us do as adults, yeah. really, it so often pushes us into that nervous system kind of hyper-aroused state. And then when we bring these regular practices of self-care to our lives in a really conscious and deliberate way, just is so profound for resetting our nervous system as well as all the, the parts around listening to feelings as well. But this, this aspect of actually taking care of ourselves is so crucial. And it's so common for us mothers particularly, but fathers too, to put our needs last. And, and I know that where my kids were little, I would have put their masks, their oxygen masks on before mine. And, and I understood that self-care was important, but I didn't actually do it. And it wasn't until many, many, many years into my, I've probably been practicing aware parenting for 14, 15 years before I actually properly started taking care of myself. And I, I can see in myself such a profound transformation in how I feel when I do that. And I think it's so helpful that you brought that up because it's something that we all need reminders about. So I love that you said that when you're talking to clients and you're asking them about self-care and you're like, oh yes, note to self too. I think that's really nice. Yeah, I think it's why I really love supporting parents because it's this constant reminder and I, I'm like, wow, yes, we need to do that. And I, yeah, just with the self-care, I think I really hear what you're saying. It's almost like I'm really starting to understand it now. I always knew I had to do it and I did little bits, but actually I, I can't parent as I would like to parent. I can't be the wife I want to be. I can't be the parenting instructor I want to be all the you know parenting support I want to be unless I do those things and it has to be really I think what I can't remember which words you use like really conscious and proactive um most of the parents who I support know I always are a fan of a calendar <laughs> and I think for some people that can feel really constricted but one mum who I supported who was really anti the calendar she said when she did it she said actually she could see how it created more space because you were consciously putting in, I'm going to breathe over there. I'm going to have three hours here while, you know, partner takes care of the children. And actually you end up having more space. So I'm a real fan of planning. I mean, we're supposed to do our calendar every Sunday night, but we didn't this Sunday because my husband um, was away. But if we sit down and do our calendar, it just means that everybody's very clear. The children know where their one-on-one playtime is. We generally do that like on a Sunday morning, half an hour each. And, uh, you know, my husband knows when he's got some time to go and do what he needs to do. And that just creates so much more space within the family. So a little bit of structure to create space, I think it's really valuable. Yeah, I love that. That's really helpful, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so often we say, oh, we must do some planning and then we actually don't get down to doing it. But yeah, if you actually write in places during your week where you're going to take care of yourself, whether that's in Australia, we can like go for a walk on the beach or it might be doing a meditation or doing some exercise or, or doing some yoga or it might be the breath work. All of those things are also important. And yeah, I've just started recently, restarted doing this meditation at night, every night before I go to yeah. sleep. And it's just just transforms how I feel and it transforms how I parent too. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a really helpful reminder. Yeah, definitely. And even with regard to my PMS, I get terrible PMS when I don't look after myself and I, I can feel I'm just about to get my period. And I was just like, I'm not feeling so grumpy <laughs> uh, a little bit with my partner, but uh, <laughs> with I just definitely notice a difference with me. So yeah, I think we can go about self-care forever, but it's such, such, a, it's, it's 
imperative, I think, in order to parent children in this way. Absolutely. Yeah. And also what we want to be modeling to our children, like we don't want our daughters particularly and our sons, but we don't want our children to grow up thinking that they have to sacrifice their needs, that they have to sacrifice uh, the things that they really rely on in order to be well. And it just, it really compromises our our physical wellness as well as our emotional wellness. So yes, it's really good to be modeling that to them, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because you know, I've been doing this breathwork sort of course and I've got to do 10 minutes twice a day and my, you know, nobody wants to join me. But then my daughter had a bit of a scary moment the other day and she said, you know, I've been talking about the breathwork stuff and she's like, oh, I tried one of those breathwork things. <laughs> so it's interesting. It doesn't mean because your children aren't even joining you, as you say, just observing you and seeing what you're doing, they automatically become part of their lives and can impact them in a really you know, positive way. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I also think what's really nice about self-care too, which I often say to parents, is you can include your children. It doesn't, when they were little, actually we still do this. I used to love um, lying on the bathroom floor. So at the end of the day, both of them in the bath and I'd be lying on my back. So I kind of have a bit of grounding. I put my feet up on the bath and they do a foot each. (laughs) And I'd have this like beautiful, like soap rub and and then um, my eldest did this like sort of cheek massage. It was the softest massage on earth. And it was kind of just this, I got a bit of self-care. Well, they enjoyed giving me the self-care. Um, so I often say to parents to include it. And one couple I actually supported one day did it. And they the next week when I spoke to them, they're like, oh my gosh, that was the most amazing hour of our lives. They said they put out buckets and the children massaged them and like, they really cared for them. So just also an invitation, you can include your children in your self-care as well. You know, even dancing together is so freeing and beautiful. So yeah, it doesn't mean it's just this sort of isolated thing you do. You can also bring the family into it as well. Yeah, that's a really nice reminder. And sometimes when we do it with our children, we can bring in that power reversal play as well. I'm thinking of things like when I dance with my daughter, she's always way better at dancing than I am. So there's that kind of fun and the other day she gave me a makeover because I never wear any makeup, but she's kind of enjoying playing with makeup at the moment. Well, I say playing, she's 16, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so she gave me a makeover and so she did all that sort of nice touch on my face and all that kind of thing. So, but again, it was her being in charge of me. So I love that element to it as well. But yes, it's a really nice reminder how how joyful it can be to share. Yeah. So, um, I think those gentle play games that you can bring are so beautiful too, because I think sometimes parents feel like with the attachment play parts of rare parenting, you've got to be running around the house. You know, I always recommend the sock game and you chase each other the socks and you go play hide and seek and, you know, there's rough and tumble and throw mummy off the bed and all these beautiful games can really support our children. But I think sometimes we're tired. <laughs> we don't want to be running around the house. But there's also just some really gentle games like drawing on each other's backs. We often just get a plain paintbrush and we'll paint each other's faces. Then we've got to guess what we've painted on there. And I think you can bring these really gentle ways of also connecting that can nurture us as well as create the connection that our children need. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's a time and a place for the sort of big boisterous movement games, but there's definitely a time and a place for that soft, gentle yeah, touch and, and just loving connection with them through play. Oh, that's beautiful. You spoke earlier about boundaries, wondering if you might be willing to share a little bit about your journey with Loving Limits and how how you found that and how you use that to support your children to access feelings and, and so on. Yeah, I think it's, again, I think it comes down to that embodied feeling. 
when actually I've, I've been mentoring some instructors and one of them was saying it was like something sunk down. It was like that, oh, this feels right. <laughs> when you set that boundary, like that, no, I think when it comes across as I really don't want you to do this, you know, this sort of you know, like growl that comes out and it becomes a, the anger gets in the way and it's not a, a firm boundary. It's more like a, you're annoyed it's almost like wait a moment before you set the boundary because <laughs> I think I've often come with that and then it it doesn't work. The, the limit, the crying doesn't happen. There's just a, an angry rebuttal on the other side. <laughs> and I think it's just been a journey of how to really set that knowing this is a limit of mine, but I don't need to be angry about it. I can feel frustrated and, and a bit irritable, but it, yeah, it's kind of just playing around with that feeling of how can I set this in a way that really indicates I've got a clear boundary but I can see that you I've got big feelings about this so that you've opened that space for the welcoming because I think it can you can very easily shut it off when you come with anger or there's some shame involved or things like that and I you know it's still an ongoing journey for me but I also love the fact that there is the repair of course if you haven't got those things quite right and there's you know the big big argument that happens because you you know you've set the boundary but then you've set it in a way that just creates anger at you and then you're not getting the loving limit set and the feelings aren't coming out so I hope that's making sense <laughs> yeah um so I definitely find it easier with the younger they are <laughs> I have found it extremely challenging with my eldest, who's 10. Uh, I keep, I keep told you, I keep seeing your courses there, thinking, oh gosh, I need to dive into those. And it's recognizing that actually she is changing. And so there is a difference within the boundaries. But what I found has been really beautiful when I have had a boundary and it's gone all wrong is uh, what Pamela Leo calls the is repair, rewind, replay process. And that's just been really, really lovely. So just, you know, we've had this like, <laughs> and then I've gone and go, oh gosh, I really, I'm so sorry. That's not the way I wanted to talk to you. And I'm sure we can find a different way to sort this out. Um, and if she's ready to hear it, then we think about how we could do it differently. We had an, I had an example of food the other day, which wasn't ideal because obviously in a way of parenting, I think I may have posted something about this, isn't a way ideal in a way of parenting to set limits over food, obviously, but I was a bit irritated <laughs> because I'd made this lovely organic salmon. I wanted her to eat it and I she didn't want to eat it uh, or was something that I thought she liked eating but she didn't like eating um, and so I came across with a bit of anger and annoyance irritation and so she stormed off upstairs really mad with me and I just took a moment to regain myself and just went upstairs and said I'm really really sorry I'm wondering how we can do this again and it was actually her suggestion she said well can we just write a list of things I do eat and we'll put it on the fridge <laughs> So I said, okay. So she's got this list. She's put it up on the fridge now. And then she wants it. She's really enjoying the actual role playing of doing it the way we did it and then redoing it the way that she would like, we would have liked it to be. So first of all, we did redid it the way that um, it happened. And then we redid it in the other way. And that's just been so lovely because that's what we left feeling good about the way that we redid it. So I think that's been really powerful with my elder daughter. Yeah, just and just recognizing that I've been trying to reflect on why is it a bit harder at age 10? What was it like for me at age 10? What were boundaries like? And I do remember my dad being quite manipulative in the sense that um, I had to often stay home and look after my mum because um, she was disabled while he was out saving the world, which he was. He was an anti-apartheid activist. So 
he did amazing work. But actually, I was ten. I sort of be with my friends and hanging out, but I had to stay home. So I'm wondering whether there's a real like something going on between me there and, mm. and this this defiance that's you know been brought up in me when she's feeling. I, I don't want to use the word defiance, I suppose, but you know, wanting to meet her needs and standing up for what she wants. <laughs> so yeah, I think boundaries are such a difficult part because I think so many of us. Our boundaries were were not respected when we were growing up. Mine definitely weren't in many, 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 many ways. So I think I, yeah, it's just this constant feeling that comes up for me. That's why I think I keep coming down to this embodied feeling. Does this feel right? Is this a boundary I want to set that makes me feel good in my relationship with my child? Uh, and then trying to then relay that in a way that doesn't cause anger. You know, it might cause anger. And that's okay. But I think what I'm trying to say is there's something wrapped up in the way I present the boundary that is really important to ensure the big feelings do come out uh, and not just this, you know, rage, which might come up as well, but obviously helping it move to more a healthy release. Mm. Yes. Oh, I love that description. I think, yeah, it's so important, our vibe and how we're feeling and what we're embodying when we're actually saying no. And that, like you say, is so difficult for us because yeah, it wasn't safe for us to say no most of the time when we were children uh, or, or we didn't even get the opportunity to say no. Nobody listened to our no. So it's it's a new language for us to learn how to speak with our children. And I loved what you're saying about that rewind process because often when we're doing this aware parenting thing, we are kind of dancing in and we're offering something and we're trying something and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it works beautifully and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it ends in yuckiness and conflict and that's true for all of us and I love this sense of rewinding and repairing with our children and I think it's so powerful for first of all for us to be able to be compassionate with ourselves that it's okay to mess up and make mistakes and that we're modeling that for our children too which is also really amazing but I do think that there is often this real deep sense of of deepening in the relationship and deepening in the understanding that goes on between us and our children when we're able to say I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak to you like that. I wish I could have done it differently and giving them the chance to do it over and then coming together with this deepened mutual understanding and then finding a solution together. So the example you gave of your daughter the other night is a really beautiful one because that started with you trying to give a boundary. It didn't quite work. She got upset went away and in a traditional parenting you would just leave her to stew and then she would have to come downstairs and eat her dinner but in this beautiful way you were able to go up you were able to rewind and reconnect with her and then you were able to find this beautiful solution that is so empowering for her and means that you're less likely to have this situation again in the future and she just feels loved and understood and cared for and that her needs and her values and her opinions matter which is just what we all want as humans to to have that sense so it's just it's so powerful and it doesn't matter when we get it wrong because we then still get this chance to make it right so I think that's so lovely oh, yeah thanks it's really lovely hearing you give that back in that sort of summary and how just to share because I think I get so caught up in those parts that are so difficult <laughs> And I can be so hard on myself and I can, you know, how can I be telling other people what to do, you know, <laughs> and how to parent in this way when I just, oh, it's so hard. But actually, I'm just trying more and more to see what you've just said and to really feel it because 
yeah, I didn't leave her up there and I didn't punish her. And I was able to share a new way of doing it. And actually, we haven't had that argument again because I have got the list up on the fridge. And so it's just very easy for me to see what she's going to eat. And it's over there. But I just wanted to say that because I think so many people I speak to get very stuck in that part of this is too hard. I can't do it. And don't realize how many times they do those beautiful things. And I just want to, you know, I think we should be sharing more and more the difficult parts and then also how we got there um, and how different it is from how we were parented and how our parents would have done it. And just remembering we are really, you know, it's it's a slow process making the shift. I'm still on the journey 10 years in. I mean, I know you're on the journey how many years in and it's it's really hard but it's so rewarding when you get to that part where it's you know they are you know my daughter the other day she's she's had a really tough time I think I've shared with you that we think she has pans pandas which is kind of an autoimmune thing which causes inflammation in your brain and those parts create rage like you have never never seen <laughs> like a tiger <laughs> and she yeah she started to behave in all sorts of ways that were so confusing to me and I was just so grateful to have aware parenting and often after a really big rage she would come to me and go I'm just so grateful that you are an aware parenting mummy um, oh, and oh. I know <laughs> um, because it was hard, hard to deal with rage for hours every day <laughs> to the extent that she was she was expressing this rage um, and to hold it was it was enormous. But I just, you know, I kept even though sometimes I didn't hold it in the way I'd wanted to hold it or sometimes I got reactive or sometimes I had enough of it. In the end, I, you know, we did get through it and we would talk about it and we would think about solutions to, you know, we've got some boxing gloves out now so we can run to the boxing gloves and hit the pillow. And we've got, you know, various things that we, she's come up with and I've come up with and to support her to, you know, not hurt us in that rage, um, but ways that she can really express that in, in a way that she doesn't keep it inside because it needs to come out. It cannot stay in there. But this beautiful journey we've been on in trying to work out how, how, how can we support you through this really, really difficult moment where your body it cannot hold in these these big feelings. Um, and when you're thinking about a two-year-old and a three-year-old and a four-year-old, especially those those very those reptilian brain is just firing away to support them with this beautiful way is profound. Um so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so it's so beautiful. And I think I've shared elsewhere on the podcast how earlier this year we had a really difficult time in our family and there was lots of different things going on that were really stressful for, for myself and for my daughter as well. And I kind of lost my way with aware parenting. And for about a week, I just totally lost my way. I was so unaware and I just was very stressed and overwhelmed by life. And I was really shocked that after 16 years, I would lose my way with aware parenting, but I did. And then I just reached out for more support for myself and I got more listening and, and help for myself. And then I came back to those basics again of you know, connection and prioritizing relationship and trying to listen to feelings and rewinding for all the times in that week that I really hadn't been the parent I wanted to be. And it's a really profound gift, that whole process. And I really think it, it took my aware parenting to, to a new level and it took our relationship to a new level too. And so I really like to reassure parents when they feel like, well, I'm not really aware parenting at the moment and I feel like I'm not doing anything right, but actually that's part of the process. And it is this, this beautiful dance where we, 
we keep coming back to these basics that we know are so beautiful and so empowering for us and for our children and, and that self-forgiveness when it when it doesn't look the way we want it to. It's all part mm. of the same process. Yeah, well, lots of love and compassion to that time because I know how hard it is in those moments. But also it's really interesting what you talk about, about the reflection part. As you know, I'm on the International Attachment Network and it was so by close friends of John Bowlby himself. So there's lots of beautiful attachment ideas and, and uh, workshops and seminars I've been to. And one in particular that really struck me was, I think it was Nicholas Lorenzini, who is a doctor and he is very passionate about the function and mentalizing and there was a really really thorough research paper that was done some research on some mothers who had really profound disorganized attachments with their babies and so you know obviously it had a huge trauma themselves and what they found moved them from insecure to secure attachments with their babies more than anything else was just their ability to reflect and I think that's really powerful. I keep sharing that with all the parents, like the, the fact that you are thinking, oh, gosh, maybe that didn't go quite right, well. And maybe I could do that differently is the important part. And then lots of self-forgiveness and love and compassion to yourself so that you can find better ways to connect and repair and move past it. Mm, yeah, I love that. I used to lie in bed. I had an aware par- a friend who we discovered aware parenting at the same time. And so we used to I have lots and lots and lots of conversations about, oh, this happened and this is how I responded and maybe I could do it differently. But I also used to lie in bed at night, cuddling both kids as they fell asleep. And I would often be reflecting there about what had happened in the day and how I'd responded and how I might do it differently. And yeah, it's so powerful, that reflection, isn't it? And that's also what, of course, listening partners are so fabulous for. Yeah, absolutely. I think absolutely essential not to keep it all inside as well, you know, because that's where it just doesn't feel comfortable saying hello to it, not trying to chase it away, of course, as I'm focusing, but to share that in a, in a beautiful way that somebody listens and accepts and you're able to move past that is, is imperative, really. And in fact, as part of my instructor mentoring now, and as part of the certification requirements, I do ask everybody to have a listening partner. So, they have that space to share and create more space to be connecting with your children and rather than letting those things get in the way. Yeah, it's so important. I've had a listening partner all the way through and I still have non-negotiable one hour a week with my listening partner and it's just life-saving. It really is. Uh, what about other things around where parenting, like we've spoken a bit about play and about listening to feelings. What about things around, have you had any challenges with managing screens? That's something that often comes up for people as being really hard to, to deal with. Do you have any thoughts to share about that? Yeah, I think screens, there's a lot of guilt for me for screens because I really don't want my six-year-old to be on a screen. And I actually went to a a Waldorf school with my eldest for two years and they had a no screen policy. So it was really easy because the school had a no screen policy. So we just watched screens and I felt really nurtured within that and probably was the only one who really stuck to it fully. But it was really a nice way that we just wouldn't have them. But actually, I could really have done on some days with just having half an hour on a screen. (laughs) We were chatting on our Way of Parenting Mentoring instructor group recently about the fact that Aletha suggests that children shouldn't have screens under seven. And I think this is imperative. I think it's really important. But I also think there's a reality that we live in a world where we don't have our parents 
parents, we don't have our grandparents, we don't have a village around us that can really give us some space and time. And if we're thinking about resourcing ourselves, we need a bit of that space and time. And I think having a bit of screens at that time, I think can really help us to get a bit of space. For example, my husband's just been away for four days, so nobody was around. So yesterday I did a bit of my breathing and I read a bit of my book and I just had a bit of space while they had their screens. And I think it's really just important to also make sure you know what they're watching. So being aware, you know, what what are they watching? Obviously, you don't want them to watch anything inappropriate. I've actually taught my eldest now, who's 10, to go on to Common Sense. I don't know if you have Common Sense over there. Mm-hmm. It's just a website and you can put in the film or the thing and it'll tell you the age restriction on and then you can judge whether it works. I think I've also just taught them to have a look at the screen. If something feels bad, put it down, <laughs> you know. So I think kind of giving them some skills around the screens is really important for safety. Yeah, and then also it's been it's really interesting because I know Aletha and Marion, you know, both say that children can self-direct their time on screens if growing up in a aware parenting household. But it's interesting too, because my husband doesn't necessarily parent as I do. So it doesn't necessarily that we've had aware parenting <laughs> together in, in a certain way. So there's different ways of navigating things. So I don't know how comfortable I feel about just complete self-direction on the screens I also know there's also so many undercurrents in the screens that I, I don't feel trusting of with placed adverts and things like that I think I would feel much more comfortable if we just had the old-fashioned turn the telly on you watch your program there's nothing on there I don't think I'd have as much a problem I think there's just all these other things that do concern me and so that's kind of my journey with it I've I've just relaxed a little bit in the fact that it does give me a bit of space. I know what they're watching. And then sometimes I'll just join them. I often will sit and watch what they're watching with them because parents often ask me, well, how do we get them off the screens? And I think sometimes it can be a really good way to set a boundary, a loving limit, and we're getting off now and you can have a big cry and, and support them with that. But actually what often helps is just coming to watch the last episode of Bluey Bingo with them, you know, and sitting down and, you know, you get some attachment play ideas as well. And being with your children while they're watching, I think, can be really powerful as well. And just that real awareness of what they are watching and talking to them about it, because we can't escape. We have them. But I think that's that, that village part, I think, is really important. We do need a bit of space and time and it does often provide that. Um, so that's kind of my journey with screens. Mm, yeah, I love that. That's really, it's so true that so many of us are living in a way that is makes it very difficult. And sometimes we're reliant on these things in order to be able to work or to, to have some time off. And often we're bringing up our children by ourselves, or we might, you know, single parents, or you might, your partner might be away or whatever it is. So there's definitely a space where we definitely need these things in order to be able to buy some time. And I love that sense of yeah, just joining your child in their screen time too. I think it's really lovely to to bring some play and some connection in when you're actually watching with them. That's a really nice thing too. So yes, it's a it's a tough one to navigate for parents. So some of the things about aware parenting is really so different to how mainstream culture views so much of parenting. And I wonder if there are some really big sort of misunderstandings and misconceptions that you see going on in our wider culture that you would really love people to understand better. Well, it's actually interesting when you think about attachment. And I've just been reflecting about this so much because obviously I've I don't know if you've seen, I'm organizing this course to the International Attachment Network mm-hmm. called Attachment and Children. And we've brought, you know, Patty Whipple speaking on listening and Dr. Neufeld speaking on separation. I've really been reflecting on attachment. And 
attachment parenting has become this thing that you do <laughs> and some people do it um, and some people don't do it but actually we cannot parent without attachment we have these connections between us and our children and I, I think that's what I would love parents to know is that we have got these deep relationships that we are building and unfortunately because our own relationships maybe weren't ideal or good enough or fostered in the way we we needed it's going to be a bit tricky to really connect as we would want to so I just think that awareness of attachment and how without us even knowing it or without us even wanting it to it impacts our relationship with our children and I think that's what I would really love the world to know that attachment style parenting is actually just starting to love ourselves and then develop this connection with our children without all of that other stuff getting in the way and my husband and I were having an argument recently and I was just saying it I felt like there was just our childhoods in the way like I was like, just mm. let's just move it, move it out the way. Like it's just there's you and me that we just need to care for each other. I want to be cared for, you want to be cared for. We're seeking them. That's all we need to do. Just move the crap out of the way. <laughs> I wish there was more awareness around that. And I think also the crying. It's such a big one, isn't it? I don't know if you know, but I've been the only aware parenting instructor in the UK until recently, for the last eight years. I think then Maru and Amanda is now, and, and Natalie is. But there seems to be this real almost closing off to tears and tantrums and feelings. And I don't know if it's systemic, it probably is, isn't it? But I wish parents would see the beauty of it because I love I love sharing uh, Peter Levine's polar bear video. I don't know if, have you seen his polar bear shaking? Um, so he has a video when he does his somatic experiencing trainings of a polar bear. And it was a polar bear who had gone under huge stress. So it had been darted and chased and, you know, a lot of stress. And then he shows how this animal starts to shake and, you know, sort of really convulse. And then it takes a huge breath and then it goes off into the wild without post-traumatic stress disorder. And what he basically makes the link to is that we all have this capacity to release our feelings and emotions through either crying, raging or laughter, as uh, Dr. Salter says. And so just that parents knew that when their children were behaving in these ways and when they were crying, that actually they can give them a gift by listening and holding space is, is the most profound thing in the world. I think it's like when you can see the joy in it, it doesn't, you know, and of course it's hard. I mean, my daughter had a tantrum this morning. I don't really want to listen to it. But um, it's it's like that kind of embodied knowledge again, like, oh, my goodness. Wow. This is something that your body can do. And how can I help you to do that? And obviously, that's a journey in itself while you work on all your, all your own stuff. So, yeah, I think those two things, these sort of attachments and the, the crying. Oh, I loved how you uh, described that. Sorry. And one more thing. <laughs> I've been chatting to a lady in the US called Ruth um, Setlock, and she's an expert on pans pandas, but she does a lot of work with attachments. And she just really made me think the other day, something I know, but she's like, all that matters is the connection between you and your child. And I've been saying that to parents <laughs> for a long time. But to, the way she just said it to me and the way I heard it, I was like, it just made it easy. You just need to think, is what I'm about to do going to break the connection or uphold the connection? 
is what I'm about to say going to uphold the connection or break the connection? I know you need to be able to have the capacity to pause and do that, but actually there's a simplicity in that is that you just want to keep that connection uphold. And if you've broken it, how quickly can you come back and repair it? So yeah, I think it's probably those three things which are the most important and the things that I work the hardest on uh, myself. I love all three of those. Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, yes, this universal need for connection is just so, so important for for all of us. And yes, I love that about re-understanding the power of tears and the power of listening to tears. And instead of us trying to stop our children crying, whether that's to take away their pain or to punish them for, for being naughty or whatever it is, just instead to listen and the incredible power in that. And I love that reminder, yes, about just connection, connection, connection. That used to be one of my mottos, like connection, connection, connection. Just keep coming back to that. That's that's so oh, it's so powerful and it's, and it's simple and it's so beautiful. Simple. Yeah. It was almost like an epiphany. <laughs> and it's something I've been saying. And But again, I think it comes back to the embodied experience of it. When you really feel it in your body, wow you can move mountains and it really becomes what you do so and I think that's a process in itself um it does does, I don't think it necessarily is embodied straight away you know that's it takes a bit of a process in order to get to those those embodied experiences yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely because we're offering our children something that we didn't receive ourselves and so Learning to do that is is definitely a, a long process, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I always ask at the end of my podcast as well, what would you, if you could go back to young Rebecca, who's new mother, what would you love to be able to tell her now that you all would have loved for her to have really understood back then? Oh, it's very hard to say to myself because I still have so many <laughs> so many parts that needed compassion and love and care um so it's quite it makes me feel quite tearful actually (laughs) hearing that but I just think to to know that you're not alone and that this is hard (laughs) um and that it's okay to not get it right and it's okay to feel overwhelmed but actually to really reach out to others and to find find your village. I think I think you really need that. I, I had nobody who was thinking like me or around me. And it was the loneliest time on earth. Um <laughs> I'm still feeling that loneliness. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that just it's it it is hard, but we can't do it alone. And I think I yeah, would would really reach out, find those communities, make a group, get people along talking and sharing and finding ways that you can get a listening partner uh, so that you can really express how you're feeling as well as well as learning new ways of doing things. Because, it, you know, as, as I said, it wasn't it's not been natural to me you know mm. I often speak to people and it just was so natural to them and you know there's this element of jealousy that comes up. I was like oh gosh why is it not you know even on punitive discipline because I was a teacher for 17 years and I you know used rewards and punishments in my classroom and I feel so so like oh why didn't somebody tell me and I often come across parents who just naturally know that <laughs> and I'm just like wow you guys are amazing but it's it's just a process of there's so many layers within us that need healing and just to reach out and get that help rather than feeling alone in it. Oh, that's such a beautiful message. And I, yeah, really, 
Oh, I feel it really deeply when you were speaking those words with such raw, real authenticness. That's so beautiful. And yeah, sending lots of love to the parts of you that were alone with this because it, it's a big, big thing to do by yourself. We do definitely need support. And I really love that sense of trying to normalize that for everybody, how we all find it tricky at times. And yeah, we need we need help along the way. That's a beautiful message. Thank you. Yeah, and just one last quick thing. I remember I I just was so tired and I I got this this nanny to come along. <laughs> and she arrived at the door. I don't know, I got her through some agency. I just was I just couldn't manage and she arrived with her big boobs and I just fell into them and cried. <laughs> and she's become (laughs) a lifelong friend and actually she didn't look after she didn't look after my eldest at all she came and just spoke to me she made me cups of tea and she nurtured me and that made all the difference in my world just to have somebody who said it's okay I'm going to take her we're going to go for a walk it's going to be okay (laughs) but I gave five minutes to myself and so that that's that yes that connection and that that it eased that loneliness so yeah just really you know reaching out and I think parents who want to do it more gently can often be rather worried about getting help in case it's not in line with how they do things but there's some beautiful people out there so not very beautiful people but you know trust yourself again and, and do get the support because it is imperative oh, that's lovely yes how nice yeah yeah so rebecca how can people find out about you i'll put all the links in the show description but where where do you where are you how can people work with you and what do you offer Oh, yes. So I'm in London at the moment. And uh, my website is flourishingchildhood.com. And I, yeah, I offer one-to-one consultations supporting parents with the aware parenting approach. And I also have lots of other bits because I've done the hand in hand, the nonviolent communication, I'm passionate about focusing, I've got the breathing. So I love to bring all those elements. Um, And I'm really passionate about somatic somatic experiencing as well. So this real um, focus um, on our bodies as well. So, but I think my favorite thing to do is I've got a weekly package that I offer and it's 30 minutes connection time each week during turn time. And it's just such a great way to bring things as they come up in the week. So, you know, you'll toddlers had a tantrum and you don't know why or you can't get them out the door or you're tired or whatever it is so it's just this great way to bring little things as they come to the table obviously I'm also an aware parenting regional coordinator so if you want to become an instructor I have got um, in the UK or sub-Saharan Africa because those are my regions I have some instructoring mentoring groups and one is starting next March and I also have a two-day workshop which I love doing and it's just really a summary of aware parenting because aware parenting is a life's work you can't do it in two days Um, but it's a really nice way to just dive into looking at three aspects of aware parenting so the attachment style the non-punitive discipline and the three reasons why children behave in opposite ways or um, the healing effects of crying raging and laughter so yeah those are the main things that I offer parents wonderful wonderful and isn't it amazing how many where parenting instructors there are now and how this is growing so much, it feels like we're really on the cusp of this big explosion of aware parenting and this real shift in, in the cultural understanding about how to best support our children. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing in that sphere to help train more people and to support more and more families to be able to parent in this beautiful way. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It's been such a pleasure meeting you and speaking to you. Yeah, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.